Get on your bike, sit on the seat, put your feet on the pedals, and ride it all around, ride it all around. Go get that car out of my way. This is Bike Talk. I got Babs Alka on from Half Acre Cycling. And we're going to talk on World Day of Remembrance, which this is about Ade Hogue. How do you say his name, Babs? Ade Hogue, you got it. And about what it all means when people are killed by cars and what we're going to do about it. But we also have Grandma Beverly from SoCal Safe Streets coming on. And we're also going to have Galen Mook, who's the executive director of Massachusetts Bicycle Coalition, coming on. But right now we got Babs. Hey, Babs. How are you doing? Hi. I'm good. So how's it going? It's going good. You know, we're heading into winter here in Chicago. So I've got to whip out all that winter cycling gear. Oh, yeah. What kind of conditions are you going to have to get ready for? So right now we're kind of still in the 50s. It's very kind of cold and muggy, but we've been hitting lows below freezing at this point. So it's going to be lots of warm layers at this point. Yeah. So you're in the Half Acre Cycling Club, right? Can you tell me about that? Yeah. So I'm a member of Half Acre Cycling here in Chicago. I've been on the team for about four years now. We are an amateur race team. We do road, gravel, mountain biking, cyclocross, you name it. We've probably done it. Our team motto is race with heart. So we are competitive, but it's really more about the process and the community and having fun for us. Yeah. Probably if I was on one of your rides, I'd get dropped right away. We have a training ride, but we do also do weather permitting. We have a open to everybody beginner Wednesday night ride that we do just to try to encourage people who may be new to group rides that want to learn or aren't sure what speed is a fast ride. And then once we see those people that are doing really well, we kind of funnel them into our faster ride. So it sounds like it's for everybody. Yeah, we try to make it as inclusive as possible. Great. And so this is World Day of Remembrance. And is your club doing something today? So we are not, mainly because with a day's passing, it was all so recent. On Friday, we just had a more formal memorial for him with all of his friends, his family. He was from North Carolina, so his funeral was out of town. So this was our version of a funeral, I guess, for his Chicago family. So you're not allowed to talk about certain things because there's still an investigation, but just the basic facts are that Ade was killed on his bike, right? Yeah, he was riding home from the lakefront path, which I don't know if you're familiar with Chicago, but it's a really beautiful path for runners, cyclists, pedestrians that runs along our lake. It's gorgeous, but getting to it from the street is really not ideal for anybody. So when you say it's not ideal, this route that Ade was on, can you go into so the bike packet itself? You know, it's all no cars, all pedestrians, but to get on it, all of the entrances and exits are off of a pretty main street. So you are typically biking with a lot of car traffic. Some of them don't even have bike lanes leading into the path. There's also Lakeshore Drive, which is essentially a highway, though we don't call it that, that runs along the lake as well. So there are a lot of entrances on and off this highway that are off of these streets that also lead you to the lake and this pedestrian and cyclist path. So you're kind of fighting a lot to even gain access to this recreational path, which seems really backwards. And so when was Ade killed on this route? 
So this was Wednesday, the week before Halloween. So 27th of October is when the crash happened. Okay. I saw on my social media feed that people were blocking the streets and there was a lot of support when they placed the ghost bike. You organized that? I did. So we used to have a woman who did all of the ghost bikes in Chicago and she moved recently. So obviously because he was a friend, I reached out to my friend Christina from Bike Lane Uprising, which is a great organization here in Chicago, Yeah, um, advocating for safer streets and bike lanes for our cyclists. So she helped me with it. A great bike shop in Chicago, Working Bikes, provided us with a bike that we could paint white. And his family was here from out of town at the hospital because obviously we were hoping that he would pull through. So the two of us and Half Acre wanted to do this vigil for him, especially with his family present. If listeners are maybe not familiar with what a ghost bike vigil is, it's painting a bike white and placing it at the side of the crash as a memorial to a life lost. But it's also a protest to show drivers that a life was lost in that area and almost to warn cyclists as well. Like, hey, this intersection that you're at, maybe not the safest area for you to be at which is unfortunate that we have to do that. Yeah, so we planned it for Tuesday night after his passing. And a day was just truly beloved in the city of Chicago, even though he was a transplant. He just had a huge family here, his found family. He was a super established graphic designer as well. So I think there was over hundreds of people at this vigil from his design friends to people he knew from cycling to just cyclists in Chicago, because we do tend to all go to the ghost bike vigils, because the fact is, it could really be any of us at any point in time. We're very much aware of that. And it's a really grim reminder when it does happen. So we all go and the community shows up to support. I've been to many of a person that I never knew, but it hurts just the same for another life to be lost. So we talked about his life. We did a moment of silence. And once we placed the ghost bike where his crash was, we took to the streets. Hundreds of people walked out in this intersection, which is leading off of this recreational path, but it's also leading into Navy Pier, which is a pretty touristy area in Chicago. And traffic was stopped. We did alert the aldermen that that was probably going to happen. So they were aware. Police was there. They let us do it. And it was interesting because cars were obviously getting annoyed and someone got out of their car and asked what was going on. And when we told them, they just threw their arms up in frustration, like, so sorry, (laughs) you know, Mm. for slowing down your work commute. When we were celebrating a life, we're mourning someone who was lost. Mm. So the pictures are pretty powerful. And this was by far the biggest turnout at a ghost bike that I've ever been to which is amazing, but also just incredibly depressing at the same time. I know for me personally, this was the first ghost bike that I've put together, and I really hope it's the last one I ever do. But you've been to a lot of them, but I would think not quite like this. No, definitely not. And obviously, because I knew him personally, it was a very different feeling in my heart at the event. Yeah. So Ade was really popular. He really was. He was the type of person where even at his memorial on Friday, the amount of people that were there, he was just one of those people that you meet and you're instantly friends with. He was really good at building communities, whether it was in design or cycling. He was a runner. You met him and you wanted to be friends with him instantly. Hmm. 
And so the effect of these ghost bikes and hearing that people were killed by cars, that is something that actually moves bike advocacy forward, if anything does. You hear about how the Netherlands, a big part of how they became the bike-safe place that they are is they talked about the children who were being killed. And there was a fuel embargo, oil embargo, but they have to use the deaths. And I think there's a formula for road safety designs where you have to show that five people were killed in some places before they put in a crosswalk. There's a number of people that have to be killed. It's really so depressing. Chicago is kind of an interesting city, too, because some of our streets are city streets and some of them belong to the state. So putting in a bike lane sometimes is extremely difficult because you kind of have to fight with multiple different sets of people to get that done. But there's definitely a pattern here where typically it does take multiple deaths at an intersection for anything to be changed. We just recently got a bike lane at an intersection because a cyclist died and there was someone who was already killed at that intersection a few years earlier. And it's so infuriating where you're like, well, we knew that intersection was dangerous for cyclists. Why didn't we fix it right then and there? Why did another person have to lose their life for us to do anything? And the changes, they weren't anything crazy. It was some paint and it's a quote unquote protected bike lane with some metal posts, but it's not what any of us would want. But I know I used to kind of avoid that intersection and I finally wrote it since these improvements, even with some metal and some paint, it's crazy how much different it feels and how much safer I feel riding through there now. Mm -hmm. I'd like to introduce Grandma Beverly now. Grandma Beverly is a co-founder of Southern California's Families for Safe Streets, and she got into advocacy for safe streets when her grandson was killed. And today she's going to be at a World Day of Remembrance event, and she has raised her hand in this conversation. So can I introduce you, Beverly? Sure, please do. I think you did pretty good there, actually. I could say more, but I won't. I don't want to brag because it's nothing to brag about. Our work is hard. All three of us have hard work, and I'm very proud to be a part of this call and to be able to put my two cents in. Totally agree that the stories are what's going to change the situation. And I say this because I do tell the stories of many, many children and adults that have been hit, killed, and injured on our roads. Our country's made for cars. As soon as Ford put the first car out there and then they found out about building the road from Chicago to L.A., it's all about the car. Go to a car show, you see what I'm talking about. The infrastructure is all about the car. But after 12 years in this work, I have seen how they change it to make it more comfortable, like um, Babs was just saying. You know, um, I can ride and and feel safe. I want to say when you watch the news at night and people are using their phones driving like they're Stevie Wonder, you know, they're a blind person behind the wheel. Mm. They are running into houses, restaurants, and people. Whether you're on Mm -hmm. a bike or you're walking, transportation in this country is a civil right. No matter what way we go about getting around, we should be able to do it safely. So I want to stop right there, and then maybe later I'll tell you about Zachary and how SoCal started. Well, you, you've got some great points, which I'm sure have you've honed over many uh, speaking engagements uh, over the years. It's quite amazing what I've learned, and it's not fun what I've learned. It's scary, yeah. just like the 85% rule, and we know we've changed the law here in California, but that's how they determine how fast cars go. Now, let's just talk about speed for a minute. At 20 miles an hour, one person out of 10 will die from a collision at 
40 miles an hour, nine people out of 10 will die from that collision. And quite honestly, if you don't have a bunch of metal and airbags around you, anybody that's hit by a 2,000 pound vehicle isn't going to fare well. Have you heard that, Babs, the 20 miles versus 40 miles per hour? Yeah, I have. The general speed limit in Chicago is 30. I actually just started driving for the first time in like a decade again. And I drive like an absolute grandma. Um, I'm okay with it. You You know, cars often get mad at me and I don't care. I like maybe will venture, you know, a couple bumps for the speed limit. But that is it for me. But even getting on the highways here, they're 55. They are not 55, like 75 would be more accurate. And same for the streets. We have some streets that are 20 miles per hour. They're a bit more, you know, like kind of side neighborhood streets, but it's rare to actually see anybody following those rules. Yeah. Yes. Well, basically, if we take the 85% rule in California and apply it to I-5, which is one of the most dangerous freeway corridors they ever made, um, 85 miles an hour would be the speed limit. And therefore, everyone would go 95 miles an hour because the practice seems to be 10 to 15 miles an hour over the posted speed limit. And there's no enforcement on it. And that's a whole nother, you know, can of worms as the, the problem with enforcement. Yeah. You know, if I, if I could, I would talk the cops into thinking twice about going after a stolen vehicle in a high speed chase. Uh, Beverly, go. I've talked a lot about the 85% rule on Bike Talk, but I wonder the best way to define it. It's where the Department of Transportation comes in and resets the speed limit based on the average speed that 85% of drivers are going, and That's then it just correct. always goes up. Yep. The- and in LA, they raise 600, they raise the speed on 600 miles of their roads, which means automatic more death. We don't call it an accident because it's not an accident that people are dying. It was engineered. and First and foremost, that's the biggest problem of the three E's. The three E's of any road safety is engineering, education, and enforcement. My favorite's education, but engineering is truly the first and foremost biggest problem that needs to be addressed. You know, like where there's a situation and the turn is made, uh, a turn into a neighborhood is so, so widely open that people can come around that corner at 30 miles an hour. Mm. You should never go around any corner at 30 miles an hour. You don't know what's around the corner. Right. Common sense. You know, if we could get that in the world and driving and biking and walking, because I mean, everybody's got their part in doing, you know, bad behaviors, you know, it would just be a lot safer for everyone. And Beverly, you mentioned when I talked to you before that you're working around pedestrians and kids. That's how I started when Zachary died. And this is what I find with all the families that's joined families for safe streets in Southern California. And by the way, we're across the country. If people just Google uh, families for safe streets, a lot of our chapters will come up and just a little backstory. um, This woman named uh, Amy Cohen lost her 13 year old son, like two weeks before his bar mitzvah in Mm. New York, where all the big brownstones are and everybody knows everybody right in front of her place. Hmm. And uh, she started Families for Safe Streets in New York. Wow. And they've had great success and they're huge because it's New York, you know, but these are popping up all over the country, even in small communities like Port Wainini, which is where our World Day of Remembrance is happening. So again, back to the question I kind of veered off. What was the question again? Oh, that what's good for pedestrians is good for bikes. What's good for bikes is good for pedestrians. Yes. And then you also have to consider, I used to just be focused on the child part of it. And then as I learned more, I was on the pedestrian part of it. 
And I really didn't care for bikes, sorry to say, because, you know, you guys got way too much energy and because you're, you're biking. <laughs> but I love that now because I had to encompass it into the program of the Families for Safe Streets. And now it kind of encompasses everybody. Speed racing, you know, this child in our group that got killed at 16. She went out with some friends, was in a car, and a lot of kids aren't buckling up still. But there was a challenge to a street race. She wasn't a participant. She was just a victim. And when that race went badly, she died. And that mom goes around and does street racing kills. So, you know, she goes to schools and talks to hundreds and hundreds of kids at a time. And that's where I like to do the education part is because that's a new generation of drivers. Hmm. Some of these people that drive now, they're stuck in their rut. Then they still, I veered off again. <laughs> Sorry, so I'm a grandma. Today at Port Winnie, which is in Southern California, there was something about petitions for speed humps. Yes, yes. I met these two women. They actually, through a friend, a mutual friend, she called me and said, these ladies, Bev, want to know how to get some speed bumps in the neighborhood. And I said, okay. Well, we called. We just had one phone call. And I told them basically about city council, little bitty things you don't know or you don't want to know. Or you need to know to do this and to go put in a request and to get some signatures. They went around and got 113 signatures in one weekend. Mm. And people say, oh, they don't want to slow down. They don't want speed bumps. This is the complaint of the powers that be. But when you go and ask the neighbors, they didn't care. Put some speed bumps in there. I'm tired. My kids can't play on the street here. They, I don't let them even walk. This one neighborhood has a crash after crash after crash because it's like a big square block and the park's in the middle. And people fly around that thing. And I've been, now I've finally been to her house and I seen it and I heard it. 30 miles an hour around a curve. Mm-hmm. And they've ran into houses. They almost killed the guy across the street with an airborne car. So these ladies got a problem in a nice little residential community. And they got there. They got four stop signs put in, but no speed bumps. And that just kind of ticked them off a little bit. And the story from the city is, well, the fire department, it's in the way for them if they have to come down there. No, it's not. The fire truck is going to slow down to go around that corner. Mm-hmm. So the speed bump's not an issue, please. The, the speed is the issue. They're just activists. They got on board with one phone call. They made stuff happen. And then we finally met. And they, I said, World Day Remembrance is coming up. What do you think? And would you like to join Families for Safe Streets? Now, they're not my typical family members because they haven't lost anyone. They haven't been hit themselves. So um, they, um, it's really amazing that they're doing what they're doing just because they want a safe neighborhood. Where we're broadcasting from Florence, Western Massachusetts, there was a local man named Charlie Braun, and he was a teacher at Northampton High School right near here. And right in front of the high school almost, he got hit. The driver was on FaceTime, mm-hmm. so they put up a ghost bike, and this person was a musician and knew a lot well, of people. Well, a teacher for sure is going to have a lot of people that know him, right? Right. And they miss him. Yeah. And so I'm just thinking that these are opportunities, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lately, when I see a crash on the news, I go, I'm going to meet that person. And it happens. It's not like I go out to find them. They find us because our group takes care of families who have been hurt by a loss of a loved one, no matter whether it was in a car, on a bike or walking. And we support each other big time. And all of them came with their own organizations and they're all still intact. We just work all together. So we have a racing expert. We have a bike expert. We have blah, 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 blah. And one of our persons is Damien Cavett. And he got dragged on the five freeway oh, on your yeah. car off of his bike. Yeah, you guys we, probably know about that. Yeah, we've had him on a number of times. And yeah, yeah that's... He, he started safe. He's an amazing man. And yeah. I love that he didn't let that injury make him bitter. 
And every year he has finished the ride. The concept is that hundreds of cyclists take a ride around Griffith Park that is supposed to be what he would have done if he hadn't have been hit and dragged onto the freeway right. by a car. Yeah, I participated in that a couple of times. You know, me and Damien, we're like, we're like uh, brothers and sisters. Right we, you know, I, he could be speaking and I'll walk right up to him and hug him in the middle of the speech because you know, it's like that. But yeah, he's been powerful. A, what uh, Baba said about meeting so many wonderful people and the sadness and the happiness of this work, you know, the happiness is in the people you meet and the work getting done, but the sadness is in the reason it's happening. So Babs, would you want to talk to Grandma Beverly about how to turn this into something that could move us forward? Are you talking about strategies? Yeah, you know, I'm just thinking about everything that was just said. Cyclists first and foremost, but I do walk around a lot. I live in a city and the amount of close calls I've had just walking my dog at stop signs when people don't stop for stop signs when we're clearly already in the intersection. Or sometimes it's a cyclist on the sidewalk, which is illegal, but the road next to the sidewalk is so dangerous that I'm like, well, I'm not even going to be mad because I totally get why they're on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. Um, because yes, ma'am. To the point about the teacher, and I've had a lot of these thoughts about a day and the media attention we got, the amount of people that were there to support him. But what about those people that don't have this kind of community? And maybe they didn't get a ghost bike or, you know, they didn't even know a ghost bike was a thing that they could have. Mm -hmm. A lot of people bike. It's why I started cycling was because I was a broke graphic designer. I didn't make a lot of money and it was just cheaper for me to get around on a bike. And it's the same for a lot of people. It means to an end to get to a job, to get anywhere. And it shouldn't have to be this dangerous thing where you don't know if you're going to get home at the end of the day to see your family or see your friends. And what if you don't have this kind of community behind you and you die in a bike or pedestrian crash and you're just like a blip on the news for five seconds. And then that's Have you ever been to a conference where they show you the big graph and there's a big old number on it? I get very frustrated by that because I'm like, my grandson's in there. Why don't you put faces on that graph? Yeah, it becomes so impersonal. I mean, there's a ton of ghost bikes here in the city where, you know, maybe they're before my time as a cyclist, before I was aware or just something that didn't get the same attention. And I don't know who that was. You right. Know, or it, it wakes up all every single memorial you see like that. Like here in California, you either got shot or you got hit. Okay, so that tells you and reminds you something happened there and it changed not just your life and that person's life, the victim's life. You become a victim of the loss of the of that victim. Yeah. The collateral damage lasts for years on these crashes. And, um, you know, that's just. um, We got to get to the heart of the common human being because we all are pedestrians at one point we get out of that big car and walk somewhere even if it's through the store wow. we, we we could get hit getting across to go into the store and the fact is every day i wake up knowing this because of what happened to zachary he went to school got i loved you and put on that bus and did come home mm-hmm. and the only thing they got back was some bloody tickets from a raffle or something that he had sold tickets for so heartbreaking it is and completely preventable and three different entities were responsible for zachary's death do you want me to share the story yeah i would love to hear it okay well um zachary was a really smart boy and uh he was into the planets and the environment and 
recycling and taking the BART, telling his dad, we got to take the BART because our car pollutes the earth and turning off all the lights when they leave. So I want to get an idea of what kind of kid he was. Loved the Beatles, had a little Fisher Price record player, played them on uh, the number ones, you know, loved the Beatles. So that's Zachary. And he gets on the bus and he goes to school as a regular day. And then he gets on the bus to come back to an after-school program on the Berkeley campus. And the bus driver was a substitute that day. And she stops to talk to another teacher, worker, staff person with three other kids on the street that are heading to Zachary's um, after-school program. And he's the only one on the bus and she doesn't want to do her job. She just wants to go home, I guess. And she goes, hi, I got Zachary. You want to take him? Sure. Find out they've done this many times. So before, but not with him getting killed. So they go and um, get him off the bus and they head on up the street a, a block or so. And they're getting ready to cross this busy street. Dur- Derby and Warren, Warring in Berkeley is called Deadly Street. Deadly State because people did bikes, whackers, everybody gets killed there. And it's like, I don't want to go into there. So anyway, back to Zachary. He's going up the street with these, this group and they go to cross the street. And, you know, instead of going, you know, in an order, I don't know how to explain it. They were crossing all uh, together, holding hands. And Zachary was asked to hold the little boy's hand that was next to him because he wasn't wanting to hold hands. And he got his little hand and they took off. And this two and a half ton welding truck went and rolled the stop and the lady's pulling all the children back. So they're kind of like V shaped and Zachary's on that end and he gets ran over literally completely ran over and dies instantly at the scene, which is my only good part of this story is he didn't lay there and suffer and cry and wonder where his mom and dad were. Okay. So he passes immediately. Some people come down to render assistance. That's why we know he was gone. The, The kindest thing anybody's ever done in our life was to render assistance and be there with him, even though he was gone hold his hand and try to revive him and then wrote us a letter about the day you know and that it was very peaceful around him uh, even though there was chaos literally people are driving around his body to get to where they needed to go and other people are running up to where the kids all live and saying somebody got hit so all these parents are running to the stop sign trying to find out if it's their kid so the terror that day was horrid and they they go and they pick up my son from the coffee house where he's doing his work. He's a PhD um, from Berkeley. He's a doctor in English. So he gets picked up there by the police and they're going down the road and he, they go down where they're going to either turn towards a hospital or not. And when they went straight, he knew something was terribly wrong and he went to the scene, but they, officer Rittenhouse who was his liaison wouldn't let him and he didn't really want to go see his son's body under the tent but they did say he was cradled in his backpack and all the little kids thought he was sleeping so the trippy part of all of this for me is those kids not just those ones but his classmates call us and get a hold of my son through social media and invite us to his fifth grade graduation And then one of those children, when he graduated, would have graduated high school, goes to the intersection, which now has a sign that says Zachary's Corner that a a friendly person put up there after meeting me. It's not legal sign, but it's the actual sign for the city, Zachary's Corner. And it's like sacred ground and people know it, but they still roll right through that stop sign like it's a yield sign today. 
And mm. that's how Zachary died. And then we find out through the deposition that the welding truck driver was blind in one eye, which then explained a lot more to me. And on top of that, the second day I was there with my son, I went to look at that intersection and it was a complete nightmare and a mess. Everything about that intersection was messed up. So Zachary really didn't have a chance. And it just was that done that quickly, that fast it was over. And my life changed forever with that phone call where he said, he's gone, mom. And I was just, I lost it. And then when I got out of bed two years later, I got busy. And not a lot of us do that. You know what I mean? Not a lot of us can do that. We get so deep in our grief, we don't even want to live. Yeah. And when was this? This was February 27, 2009, a date I will never forget. Yeah. And it was three days before, after his daddy's birthday and two weeks before his birthday. So it, it's a rough time in February. And then, yeah, it's just a rough time all the way around. But the fact that I know I make a difference and I know it, it helps, but the problem is so huge. It's like a tsunami, you know, and until we get real about infrastructure and, and conscious driving and mindful driving and thinking I am a 2000 pound vehicle and can hurt somebody today. So I want to do that. It's a choice. 85 to 95% of this is completely preventable. So we should try to prevent it. Well, that is not an easy story to hear. And you've been telling it for since it happened, which is what, 12 years or so. 13 now. 13. Yeah. And I could tell you more. You want me to tell you about Aiden? Do you want me to tell you about Sammy? Do you want me to tell you about the lady that got hit with the Lamborghini here in L.A.? I'm sure that made national news. I got that when I knew that you were going to come on the show. You're talking about Monique Munoz. I researched that and I'm actually using it in my seventh grade English class. I'm glad because there are new drivers coming up. Yeah. Hey, Grandma Beverly and Babs, we have Galen Mukon. He's the executive director of Massachusetts Bike Coalition. He's doing a World Day of Remembrance event, right, Galen? Yeah, I'm actually here in front of the Massachusetts State House right now where we've laid flowers for everybody who's been killed in the state and all traffic crashes this year, part of World Day of Remembrance. It's a very somber. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty somber here. How, how many people you got out there, Galen? We are spacing out our rally today, so we're not doing a big event. These flowers will be here all day, so we started at 10 a.m., and I'm here now. I'm going to be here for a couple hours, just interfacing with people who are walking past to stop and take a look and take photos. Usually, they're tourists who are not here intentionally for this event, so this is about raising awareness right here in downtown Boston. And been here a little more than an hour or so for what we're doing. All the flowers have been here since 10, and I had actually a great conversation with one of the park rangers who's kind of the security patrol for the state house we talked for a good while about the meaning of the event and his own personal experiences and friends and family that he's lost in crashes and generally kind of just pausing to reflect do you know of families for safe streets galen mm-hmm. yes yeah i'm sorry to be joining late so feel free to introduce me to the rest of the crew who's here well we got grandma beverly She's co-founder of Southern California Families for Safe Streets. And we got Babs Auka, who's with Half Acre Cycling. They just lost a day Hogue in a mm. car crash and had a big ghost bike memorial she organized in Chicago. And Grandma Beverly was just talking about her grandson, who was killed by a welding truck in 2009. Yeah, I was listening. So oh, sorry. Excuse me. I really hate to interrupt, but he wasn't killed by the welding truck. He was killed by the driver. Operating. Oh, I am so, so I should know this. I talk about this. 
I can't believe yeah, I, I just I did that. that. It's like if anybody on this call said the word accident, you'd hear me go, because eh, it's not an accident, okay? You're right. right. I got that one down, yeah. but I'm still... Sorry, but I'm, yeah, I had to say something. I'm still, I'm still depersonalizing yeah. drivers. I can't believe I'm doing that. I catch myself, too. Thank you, Vera Vavis, for saying that. It's You are 100% right to just call it out whenever it gets called out. These are choices that people make. These are not autonomous objects driving on their own. These are decisions that people make behind the wheel. And we need to affect that consciousness. And language and syntax is probably one of the first places to start there. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that, Beverly, the language? Yes. We'll just start with the basic crash, not accident. The uh, AP has decided to change that based on only major um, collisions where the major injuries or death. Can't call it an accident because it's not. It's an incident. It's crash, or what was the other one? Incident, crash, or hmm, I can't remember the third one. But yeah, honestly, it's uh, a choice. Let's just call it that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'll chime in too. This is Galen. I think the concept of accident absolves personal responsibility. You know, saying, oh, it's an act of God that happens, and it's not. These are preventable. You get enough secondary victims in one room, and that would not be a good word. Well, and it's (laughs) a choice by more than just the driver, right? Exactly. Well, also the choice of our government to ignore the roads and just make them all for cars. When I've seen a good um, layout where they've changed a road and done a road diet and put protective bike lanes and actually protective walk lanes. And then you even got some protectors getting out and out of your car, you know, but there's also this thing called dooring people. You guys know all about that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That's just plain meanness. You know, again, Grandma Beverly's going to say, you know, be nice. So besides accident to crash, what other triggers of syntax should we be calling out here? I'm not sure, but that's my big pet peeve. If you just, you know, you probably know more than me too, because if you've been mm-hmm. in the state, the time that it's when I first started, I didn't know any of this AP. What's that? Associated Press. Okay. You learn a lot of new language when you go into this. And I, like I said, I just started wanting to do the kids because nobody tells you no when you're talking about child pedestrian safety, unless you're a real douchebag, you know, so. Just saying. And they're out there. Yo, know, they are. <laughs> I've met only a few, though. It's really, really been a wonderful thing. I, I've only had conflicts with two different people over 13 years. Wow. wow. But I did have somebody when I was out at the corner putting some flowers one year go by in their car and yell, uh, what'd she say? Clean it up and let it go. Mm-hmm. I was so upset. But to respect Zachary, you know, had I had a brick, I don't think I would have thrown it. Well, that's good. Yeah. But it hurt. It hurt Mm -hmm. the heartlessness of that driver. She goes by that corner every day. And it's usually decorated not by us, but by community and his friends. You have other stories, Beverly. Do you want to give us another? Sure. Let me think. I'll go with my other co-founder, my friend Debbie Shung. I met her on a Mother's Day where she was going to Pasadena event to try to start um, some changes in the Pasadena, which I got a really good group there. But her son got hit and killed on Colorado Boulevard and Hill Street. And if you guys know about the Rose Parade, Colorado Boulevard is a pretty big street because they put the parade there. This is Pasadena. Pasadena, California. And he got killed in front of his entire family. And the guy, Mr. Taylor, was in a big F1 50 pickup truck number one seller in america debbie reminds me because now those are her triggers is those pickup trucks Mm -hmm. 
And like they're on the crosswalk with the light, with the right of way. And that should be where you feel safe, but you don't, you know, and you can't be safe because people got their phones yeah. in their face or in a hurry or they're rude. Yeah. So he goes to make that right turn. And Aiden's three feet in front of his, his group, his mom, his dad, his little brother, because they were there for a baby shower. And they went, we're going to get something to drink or eat at the local eatery there across the street. So they got all the right away. They're heading out. And Aiden gets like three feet in front of his mom. And Mr. Taylor decides to make the right turn. And when Debbie goes around the back of the truck to the passenger side, her son's under the wheel, still there dead. And she's yelling, back up, back up, back up. And he backs up. Aiden's gone. Of course, the ambulance comes and uh, takes him away because they, even though she's a doctor and his dad's a scientist, they know that he's dead. But it wasn't to move the traffic along, which I asked because I was curious, but it's because he was a child. You know, all efforts were given to try to save this boy who was obviously dead because it was a fucking F-150, I'm sorry, an F-150 pickup truck on him. And she got involved with me over the one meeting. And when we went to Pasadena to help that group, we, um, I had, in, in Berkeley, they started pedestrian, child pedestrian, or Zachary Pedestrian Safety Month for the month of his his birth and they go out and they ticket the heck out of everybody for violating pedestrian right away and for the whole month and it's cool because it makes education important and they give him a flyer of zachary and say this is why you got the ticket you know to change the mind again the heart i'm sorry i'm i'm digressing but aiden's wow. story is so sad they just put a sign up there that said um yield to pedestrians in memory of aiden tam on that corner. And that's the first time Debbie's gone back to that corner since it happened. So, so oh, I don't remember pedestrian safety, but we're talking to the chief of police there or whoever is, I don't remember his name now. And his, his, the lady that helped at the scene who eventually had to retire after a few more incidences like this, cause she couldn't do it anymore. And, um, they, um, I asked them about pedestrian safety month and making engineering and education thing that went hand in hand. So they, um, they liked the idea and they started it, but they wouldn't do it just for Aiden. They did it for many victims of Pasadena roads and road violence. Mm -hmm. But Debbie's on there on mother's day shortly after her son died getting busy. And then we met, I hugged her that day and I said, I loved her. And she just kind of, she didn't look at me weird. It was like, we had a kindred spirit connection from the loss that we both know what it feels like. But for her to see that and then keep going. And then the first time she actually smiled was when we went to Congresswoman Brownlee's office and gave her a stop sign and, uh, and talked to her about the situation, you know, just in general, see if she get on board. And she's, it was a picture and she's got a little smile on her face and she said to me, Grandma Beverly, that's the first time I've smiled since Aiden died. Um, wow. There's so much packed into that story. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know how I sleep at night, but, you know, I do. But yeah. I, can't, I hate watching the news because it just shows it going on and on and on and on. And then we got street raising out here in California, taking over streets. I don't really feel sorry for those kids out there. If they get hit and hurt, you know, I can't feel sorry for you. That was just stupid. But I would like to see it stop. This is Galen again from Mass Bike. We packed so much into that story of advocacy and ways to mitigate these crashes in the future or to educate. I'm curious. So a few things we're doing in Massachusetts, some of it's legislative, 
One thing would be to designate what's called a vulnerable user on the road, somebody who's walking or biking or even a construction worker or a steady writing a ticket on the side of the road or somebody like that and give special protections to them. So that would be if there was the need for education or enforcement, we would have the teeth of the law to back it up. And I don't know if that's in California or in Illinois or elsewhere, but that's one thing we're trying to work on statewide here. Yeah, the legislation part seems to be almost the hardest part. You know, yeah. even we have legislators out here that have lost loved ones and been hit themselves and they don't want to get on board because a car centric country is so much about our little bubble on, on, on wheels. You know, this is my space. I can do what I want. And, you know, road rage and you just name it. The problems are just humongous. Beverly, and you were. Go ahead. I just uh, try uh, to change people's hearts and minds with my stories. And I hate that I have so many of them. Mm-hmm. I was just going to bring up that you were a truck driver. Oh, yes. Oh, oh yes, I was. <laughs> in the 80s and in the 90s for about five years each. And it is amazing, the behavior of drivers. And because I'm up there, I can see everything in your car. I can see yeah. if you're a junk food junkie. I can see if you hit your kids. I can see if, you, you know, you're, you're texting. Some of them I've seen texting, headphone, and a computer. You know, I'm like, why are you doing that? And then let's not talk about the sex things because that's going on big time too. And and the phones now, right? I mean, the fact that we have mobile phones, that's that's one of the biggest things that changes in the 80s and the 90s. Now everybody's got distractions, so many more distractions just based off everything they're carrying in their pocket. You're right. And the phone isn't just a phone. It's everything. It's a computer. It's a camera. It's uh, so much fun. You know what? Well, that's fine. There's a place for it in your trunk while you're driving. Yeah. yeah, I think almost all of my close calls, what I call kind of slow motion hits that I've had on the bike, I see the person on their phone. They were not looking, they were doing whatever on their phone, their head is down. No assault to Stevie Wonder, but they were being Stevie Wonder behind the wheel. And if you Google it, you will find a picture of Stevie Wonder behind the wheel. I would love to get that a billboard all over this country. Would you let Stevie Wonder drive your car? I pull up on people and ask them that question. And it usually results in a little snicker. And then they think about it. You can see it hits their head real quick. Oh, I am driving blind. Mm-hmm. As a truck driver, so we, if I don't keep my eyes on the road all the time in every mirror, I might kill somebody. And mm-hmm. I'll go to jail for it. Where in this world, if you hit somebody, you're not under the influence. You stop and say, sorry, you're going to get probation. Mm-hmm. Even though you killed somebody. You know, I don't think I even know of a single bike death here in Chicago where there was any ticket, any violation issued to them. Definitely not on the site. You know, it's a fight to get someone charged with anything, which when there's no accountability for your actions, then why would people care? Why would anyone? Exactly. I mean, you would think they would care because we're human beings and we care about each other, but that's apparently not the case. You can kill someone and nothing happens to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they say that well, if you want to kill someone, you get away with it, hit them with your car. Exactly. And don't, say, don't quote me on that because it's the truth, though, because I've been to a lot of trials. I went to the one with the Lamborghini boy here from California. That was his third offense. He was speeding. He hit her at 106 miles an hour. And wow. he got seven to nine months in a juvenile camp. Whoop, whoop. And they had just got yeah. his car out of impound, too. Right. He True. just had he his was license under the suspended. influence once in the speeding. He was racing that time. The second time, I think he was just speeding for speeding's sake. His parents sped with him through the streets of L.A. and the mountains of L.A. and then would brag about who had the faster car. 
Okay, so the dad taught the kid also to be a bad driver. If I was more annoyed at anybody in that courtroom, it was the dad and the mom. Because you know what? When my kid screws up, I'm taking your keys away. You're not getting that car. You're in trouble. But he never got in trouble. And he did three times. And three was a charm. And he killed Monique Munoz. Yeah, and so- that woman has a lot of friends, apparently. And it's a beautiful family. I've hung out with them. I've sat with them. I've gone to some memorials. And then I went to court. And me and mom actually meditated last week because she's having such a hard time with her oh grief. There was no justice in that case. Yeah, but, you know, here's the problem. And I'll tell you real quickly. And um, it's first off, DAs don't want to prosecute non-winning cases. Second off, if you go with a jury trial, all you need is one person on that jury to say that PDB. Now you're going to have to figure out what the last word is because I can't say it. Poor dumb okay anybody that feels sorry for that person oh they didn't mean to do it that's all it takes to stop the case and say you're not guilty and that's why they don't want to do it and everybody can relate because everybody looks at their phone while they're driving it could happen to me i'm no perfect angel driver either you know i like to have a burrito when i'm driving down the road sometimes because i'm hungry but maybe i should stop and eat that and take the five minutes or ten minutes it's going to take to actually eat it and enjoy it instead of driving down the road eating a burrito then there's people with the taco and they're all worried oh man that got on me oh god and they're all swerving to get some taco sauce off of them instead of you know well maybe you should have got a burrito <laughs> i'd like to tap into something that you just mentioned there Ev, about the district attorneys and how the prosecution system works and one thing that i've noticed here in the boston area is i've actually been working with police departments to try to one educate officers on what the proper laws are mainly mm-hmm. cyclists and their rights and responsibilities but one of the fascinating conversations that i had to really illuminate the challenges the challenge. that they face, again, some feedback, is that the police officers aren't citing obvious infractions that would be, you know, like opening a door on somebody, running a red light, because, and I heard this from an officer, and I won't say from which municipality, but they said that they've, <laughs> they've, been, they've been disincentivized to do it because whenever it's challenged and whenever it ends up in front of a judge, the judge throws out the minor charge of running a red light, they call it. And it's not a minor charge. These are obviously compounding factors as to who's responsible in a serious crash. But they find that the legal system itself is biased. So even if they mm-hmm. were to cite the driver, they know that the judge would say, this doesn't do anything to the case. We're removing this charge. And I've been talking to the DAs about it. I'm like, what's the culture that we can get? The officers are very well trained. The officers know what to do. And the officers will write a report that if an insurance company challenges it, obviously the driver's at fault. Very obvious to have it. But without that citation, they're like, well, there's no point in citing it because it doesn't go anywhere once it hits the court system. I think that's been one of the major, major challenges, which I don't know how to crack that nut. The judges decide. Well, there's a little grandma cliche that says the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So, you know, just keep squeaking. Yeah, amen. It's World Day of Remembrance. This is Bike Talk. We got Grandma Beverly from Southern California, families for safe streets. We got Babs Alka from Half Acre Cycling in Chicago, and we got Galen Mook, Executive Director of Massachusetts Bicycle Coalition. And we're just going to have closing thoughts. Galen? Maybe I'll start. Yeah, thanks. I think my closing thought is today is a day to pause. 
and remember not just the numbers and the incidents, but the humanity behind everybody who's died out there. And we work with family and our memorial advocacy and we have memorial pages up. We get to really know some of the stories behind these people who have been killed. And that's today. Today is the human side of things. These are not numbers. These are not statistics. These are people with family and friends and hobbies, careers and influence that were cut short needlessly. So if you know somebody, maybe it's a family member or a friend or can commiserate with somebody else today, just take a moment to speak their name aloud and, and honestly pause in whatever type of setting works best for you. But to, to really just think about the human cost of how we operate out here. Thanks, Kaylin. And good luck at your, is it a vigil? Is it a it's just in front of the state house here in Massachusetts and Boston. I'm just talking to whomever is stopping by at this point. It's kind of like my shift. But we're also doing ceremonies today in, in Springfield, Mass, where we had four fatalities in a week, two weeks yeah. ago. And the district attorney is coming to that one. And there's some victims and family members. That will be a more press release vigil um, in Brookline, Massachusetts at 1123, where a woman was killed in a crosswalk two weeks ago. They're doing a moment of silence at 1123 this morning in Lennox, Mass, where uh, Benjamin Kaplan was killed back in May, uh, laying flowers at that site. So it's really a statewide effort happening today. All right. And I'm supposed to be off the air now-ish. So Grandma Beverly and Babs Alka, can you both give your deets? Can I go last? I got sure. one thing to say, but okay, go last. Please. Babs, you want to direct us to any resources <laughs> yeah. on that? So you can find Half Acre Cycling on Instagram at Half Acre Cycling. I am also on Instagram at Hello Babs. If you're in Chicago and you're interested in racing or getting into group rides or whatnot it may be, we're very open. We're always excited to get more people into biking. And I would just say kind of what Galen said, we're all just human and we all have families and loved ones and friends and we all want to get home and I miss my friend. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for coming on. And Beverly, Grandma Beverly. I'm going to light some candles today for my family's children and loved ones. I hope I don't burn my house down. Mm -hmm. On top of that, I just want to say, because people ask me all the time, how did Zachary die? Were they on the phone? Well, yes, the phone's a big culprit, but not this time. So the last thing I'd like to say in closing, and my birthday's tomorrow, by the way, just brought that up. This came up on my phone, birthday. I'm sorry. Distracted driving kills. What kind of distraction? Does it really matter? Right. Yeah. You cannot protect yourself against a distracted driver. And I guess people can check you out on Facebook, Grandma Beverly's Child Pedestrian Safety Group. Is that a good place? Yes, it is. And they can also contact anybody at SoCal Families for Safe Streets if they want some help or information, because that's what it's all about is it's networking, sharing, and stopping the carnage. All right. Thank you so much for coming on today, Galen, Beverly, and Babs. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. It's been an honor. Thank you. So much.